Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 53 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. I am thrilled that we're almost at at our anniversary of uh, launching this podcast, I am so grateful for all of you who show up every week listening to this podcast, sending me emails, writing me reviews, and interacting with our Facebook page. One of the New Year's resolution that I have this year is to really show up in my relationships and deepening my relationships. And I feel I am in relationship with all of you guys. So I want to hear what you have to say. So during the month of January, which is our anniversary month, whoever writes an honest review for this show on Apple Podcasts, uh, on iTunes, I will mail you the uh, Sexology Podcast t-shirt. All you need to do is take a screenshot of your review You can post in our Facebook page, our Twitter page, or you can send me an email and let me know at drmaoli at oasis2care.com with your mailing address. And wherever you are across the globe, I will uh, mail you the t-shirt. Today, we're going to talk about sex and dating. This is a topic that I get lots of questions about it from my friends, from my clients. When we're establishing a new relationship, at times we can question ourselves. At times we're not sure who we can trust, what we can share with them, how we can give a voice to 
what we need sexually in a relationship. That's why I invited Dr. Sharon Cohen, a relationship expert, to help us navigate how to have a healthy sexuality while we're dating. Dr. Sharon Cohen is a relationship and love consultant in Newport Beach, California. She works with women who can't seem to find the right relationship or who aren't sure they are in the right relationship. Sometimes clients who come to her are ready to give up on love. She helps them have supportive, committed, deeply loving relationships with a man who rocks their world. Here's my conversation with Dr. Sharon Cohen. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am super excited to have Dr. Sharon Cohen with us today. Dr. Sharon, welcome to our show. Thank you so much, Naz. It's really great to talk to you. Thank you. It's so lovely to have you on this show. I was looking at uh, your website, and of course, as I shared with our listeners, I attended one of the uh, workshops that you had, and it's interesting that it seems like dating and navigating the challenge of dating and romantic relationship is one of your specialties. Absolutely. It's definitely my mission in life to help women get into healthy, supportive, deeply loving relationships. It's just, you know, it took me some time to find my man. And so anything I can do to help other women find their partner in life is um, my biggest goal. And it's so true that these days it's so challenging to find a partner. First of all, it's just our life is just so much smaller, our social support and like people around us. So it's just like meeting a person is challenging. And at times, because we don't have as many common mutual friends with that person, kind of knowing truly who they are can be also hard. But one of the questions that I often get from our listeners is about sex and dating. So one of the things that people wanted to know is how to decide if you're emotionally ready to have sex with your date, not necessarily because like sex needs to be emotional, but safety, emotional safety and vulnerability is part of it. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, that's such a great question. I think the issue is, is that it's not only emotional safety, but it's about kind of being lined up kind of completely, like your whole internal alignment, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, mentally, everything being lined up completely. So the problem with having sex too early, if a long-term relationship is desired, is that when you do have sex for women who are under the age of 45 or so, a neurochemical tidal wave takes over. And so when you have sex, dopamine, oxytocin, all of this washes over you. And once you have that sex, then you may find out that a few months later, you don't even like each other. And so what happens if we end up getting prematurely monogamous with someone that we don't even really enjoy that much? And so I think it's really important to kind of wait until you know if you actually like this person. And so I think that's a way of sort of protecting yourself emotionally to not have sex right away because once you've you've ended up connecting and bonding with someone who isn't the right person for you who you don't 
really enjoy, who you don't really ultimately want to be with. And so if you're looking for a long-term relationship, then, you know, hold off. And I think women will note this. Oftentimes, if it's like, quote unquote, the right guy, the one that you really like, you do hold off on having sex with him. And what you'll do is you'll have sex with a guy who really isn't that important to you. And I think like in some weird way, we know we know that we do this and and that and that's probably why because we are protecting ourselves so what i tell women is to you know be socially and sexually monogamous you know when you're ready to have sex tell the man that you know what you're looking for uh, is a socially and sexually monogamous relationship and that you want to see him on a continuous basis uh, and that you have an eye towards marriage and you're not saying that that you want this with him that you're saying that you want this in general so that he doesn't feel the pressure that you're trying to pressure him into um having this with him. You're looking for it uh, from from whatever man, just that that's what you ultimately want. And so that way it's, uh, there's not pressure towards him. Right. And I love when you talk about not having sex too early. I think one of the challenge is that people want to follow the kind of certain rules. So we've been on date three times. Now he expects me to have sex with him, then I'll just go with it. Or just like these different narratives that we have in our head. And I think, as you said, if someone is not ready, that can cause a number of different problems. As you mentioned, kind of a early commit kind of emotional connection with someone because of the neurotransmitters that you mentioned. Or also sometimes I feel some women telling me that like, you know, I don't want to just like sleep around with other people. So I, I would try to work this out to see how it's going because I already slept with him. So I think all this reasons that can cause people to kind of get stuck in a wrong kind of relationship is, is something that's to keep in mind. And also one of the other things is challenging is how you can assess that your partner is ready. Because in dating, there are so many implicit way of communication that's going on. What's your recommendation in that area? Yeah, also a great question. You know what? I think really to pay attention to whether or not the man is making and keeping agreements, that to me is huge. You know, a lot of men can say things and if they don't follow up, that means that he's not really that serious and also that he's not a man of his word. One thing that I tell women on uh, when they're going out on first and second dates is a man may tell you, oh, you know what, I'd really love for you to meet my parents, or I'd really love to take you to Hawaii. But if he doesn't have the tickets in his hand, you know, with a date set, and, you know, it's happening, it's it's not happening. Men like to uh, play things out in their head, like, what would this, they try it out. What would this be like to take her to Hawaii? What would this be like for her to meet my parents? But then they go home, and then they play it out a little bit more, and then they're like, no, not ready for that. So unless they've got, like I said, those those plane tickets in their hand, the tickets for the play, the, you know, the, the, they've called their parents and they've scheduled that dinner, whatever it is, that thing that they've put out there is not actually a, a reality. So don't allow their musings that they've thrown out onto you to actually, for you to actually believe that they're going to happen. So again, assess he's ready by if he's making and keeping agreements. And then also if he continually shows up. If he's talking about the future and again, following through, does he introduce you to his family and friends? 
I think there's a natural development uh, and flow that you start to spend more time together. And then on the weekends, on the important nights, are you together on Saturday nights? Or are you only together like on Sunday nights or Tuesday nights or only on Monday nights? I, I have some of my um, clients say, oh, yeah, well, our night, we, we spend every Monday night together. It's, it's turning into something. And it's like, well, does he work on the weekends? No, no, no. He doesn't work on the weekends, but Monday's our night. And it's like, huh. I'm thinking that maybe it's not that serious then because he's still going out with his friends on the weekend or he's seen another lady on the weekends, you know? So there's some things here to really be having your uh, antenna up about. Yeah, and, and again, I think that there's just some... Also, let's just go back to the sex thing. If you've said that you want to wait for some reason about about having intercourse, that he understands that you aren't ready and is willing to wait because you're that important to you, he may double even, even double check about having sex with you when you say you're ready because he doesn't want you to be doing it to appease him. He wants you to be doing it for your pleasure and because you're ready, not because you want to you want to be pleasing him you know he's really into it for your benefit and what an important concept that you mentioned around making and keeping agreements because as you you were talking about i was thinking about a number of my clients and friends that every time like in during their honeymoon phase people make kind of this comments that we're going to do this and that and but the action and like few months afterward is not showing any of those like tasks that they said the dates that they were supposed to uh, make happen and like sometimes some women or some men kind of they get stuck on the promises saying that but she or he said we're gonna do this and right. then they kind of stay in the relationship with the false hope that you know one day because he said it or she said it, she's going to do it or he's going to do it. And it just gets very frustrating. And it's not like there are a women, like only some uh, small number of women, they're not intelligent. I see it all the time with very successful, intelligent people that they get stuck in this kind of patterns. Yeah, no, I think it's actually usually smart women because smart women are compassionate and they're a little bit on the competitive side. And so we'll stay in it because we want it to work. And so it's almost like that competitiveness in us. It's like, no, we're going to make it work. And uh, and so we'll stick with it longer until until something finally in us like breaks. And then we're like, no, okay, like, We've, we've tried our hardest, you know, but we'll stay in it longer because of that competitive streak within us. And so it's an interesting little um, cocktail of, of qualities within smart women that makes it that we'll stick with uh, relationships longer. It's almost like we'll, because of our more controlling sort of way, you know, we, we want it to work. We have a strong energy about us. And so therefore, we'll go with it. You know, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll do what we can to make it work. And, and actually that's exactly the thing that makes it not work. Whereas someone who's a little bit more laid back and it's like, Hey, you know what? This just doesn't seem to be working. It kind of seems like you're not that into this and it doesn't feel good to me. That's the thing about women who are strong and successful. Oftentimes they're out of touch with their feelings. And so they're not as invested into someone who doesn't make them feel good. Whereas those competitive 
a little bit more controlling, successful, strong women, they're a little bit out of touch with, the, with of their feelings. And so they're not, they're not in touch with that. Like this doesn't feel good anymore. Right. And I, the point that you were talking about, I'm going to make it work. I heard it so many times that people are kind of like sharing with me that I'm in this dating relationship, the guy or the girl, she didn't have the relationship like a, and she had, didn't have any relationship for past 10 years or after the, his or her divorce. But this is different. I'm going to change the person because some of these people, as you were talking about, women are successful, driven. So they think they can change things that are out of their control, which right. is the other person. And it's just, it, it gets the, it gets them stuck and they stay in those relationships or truly try to make it work or they kind of have this illusion of things are going to change when they're not going to change. Well, and then we all know you can't change anybody else because just look at look at how hard it is to change one of our own behaviors. You know, we want to lose weight. We want to start a an exercise program. We want to, you know, change our our clutter problem. We want to change, you know, whatever it is. We have so many things that we want to change about ourselves, and that's difficult. Now we're talking about wanting to change some behavior in somebody else. That's really very almost impossible. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's like the big, um, the big, uh, hoax that women believe, um, that we can change men. You know, it's a long time saying it's like men marry women hoping that they never change and women marry men, uh, believing that they can get him to change. <laughs> and it's like, it's not going to happen. You marry the person you marry. They're not going to change. You're not going to change. You have to accept them for exactly who they are in this moment in time. And, inevitably you both will change, but you don't know in what way you'll change. So you have to be willing to kind of go with the flow of however that change is going to evolve over time. And, and the change is going to be like organic based on the things that happen in your life. And so you have to like commit to the relationship, not to the person, to the relationship. It's like that greater good of the relationship. And, you know, because the person is going to fail you at some place in time, they're going to hurt you in some way because we're human beings, you know, and uh, we're not perfect. And so therefore you commit to the relationship because you say, that's what I want. I want a relationship. I want someone who's going to stand by me for the rest of my life. And, and so I'm, that's what I'm committing to is to have this person be with me. And walk through the the ups and downs of life, and you know that's that's the big picture, right? And as you said, the successful relationships are the one that the partner kind of accept the other person as he or she is, and kind of thinking about, okay, this is a good compatible person for me, versus kind of thinking about them as a project that I'm going to change the person, she or he, even if they say they're going to change. Unless back to the point that you said that you see that they're changing, there is just so, there's not necessarily reasons to show that he or she will be able to change. So I think. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a tricky thing. One other topic that time comes up is when we are in new relationships or when we're dating and uh, we're trying different things sexually. And at times they might feel uncomfortable and you don't, you realize that you don't want to engage in it anymore. So how can uh, someone reestablish sexual boundaries after they feel they've gone too far? Yeah. Oh, wow. This is all about communication. So 
really, it's like about having a conversation that just cleans up the situation. So I think the most important thing to do is to, you know, start it off by saying you want to talk about a sensitive situation and ask would be a convenient time to discuss it, you know, today if possible. So you want to be face to face so you can see and feel each other's presence. Uh, you know, I think that gets lost so much today when with text messages and, um, you know, even phone calls. It's just not as good as being face-to-face. And then, you know, I'm big into using transactional analysis, which is, you know, starting off by making them feel good by giving them what's called a stroke, which is basically just a unit of social recognition in transactional analysis. So you could say something like, I really loved how it felt when we made love or when we, you know, had sex. And then you would say something like, you know, however, I made a mistake in being that intimate with you at this point in our relationship. And then follow that up with saying how, you know, if you're the woman saying, I don't feel ready to continue at that level of intimacy. And I don't want to do that again until my emotions catch up with, you know, that level of intimacy. Uh, And then asking them if they're willing to wait for, you know, my emotions to catch up with my sexual desires. You know, how do you, you know, are you willing to wait for that? So I think that way you're, you're telling them that, you know, it felt good. I really loved how it felt when we made love. Then, uh, like I said, and owning up to your mistake by being that intimate and, and then telling them how you feel and asking them if you're, they're willing to wait for the emotions to catch up. Right. And I like the face-to-face component of it, that you recommend that, because I feel at times, this, especially with dating, half of the conversation is through text. We don't, we don't have the context of the, what other person is talking about. So it's just so important to have this conversation when you're in uh, face-to-face with the other uh, party. And the other thing that I really like that you were talking about kind of focusing on your message, like using I message instead of like when you did that, I felt this way, kind of focusing on that, like, okay, um, I wasn't ready. My emotions are not aligned with this level of uh, intimacy and I want to change things. So I think it's just a very nice way of kind of approaching it so and also it doesn't necessarily no matter what kind of communication you have is guaranteed that you'll get the results that you want but I think it's important to be able to communicate clearly yeah and I think the thing is with text nowadays it's such a we've gotten kind of so uncomfortable with talking face to face, but really what is intimacy? It's being able to say what you're thinking and feeling in the moment that you're thinking and feeling it in a way that's kind to the other person. And so, you know, sometimes we can't do that because we're not in the other person's presence. Sometimes we don't have it in that moment, right? We just we haven't figured it out internally. Like, what is it that I'm feeling? I don't, I don't necessarily know what it is that I'm feeling. But as soon as you do, as soon as you figured out what it is that you're feeling or thinking, then it's like, as soon as you can, get in front of the other person and say it. Because texting, it just doesn't allow you that, that full presence, the full spectrum of intimacy that allows you to really feel like being with that other person. And if you want that sort of relationship where you can, you know, be um, vulnerably naked in front of the other person, which may sound really horrible to some people, like I don't want to be vulnerable in front of somebody else, but that's the way that you really get 
real and deep and like intimate. That's it. It's just to really say what it is that you're thinking and feeling with somebody else and really allow them to bear witness to your truth. That's how you really get into a very good, deep, healthy, you know, supportive relationship. That is such an important point. And I feel sometimes these days get missed a lot that people are thinking, okay, using different, this different prop or a different position going to improve my sexual functioning, sexual uh, sexuality. But I agree with you. I feel like being seen and being vulnerable can deepen one's intimacy and level of in- sexual enjoyment. Absolutely. I mean, you've nailed it right there. It's, you know, the props and everything are fantastic, like you said, for getting into some, you know, fun new position. But really being seen in the moment of intimacy is about as deep as it can get. Because I've, I've had people say to me that, you know, it's, it, it's like there's, there's women out there, you know, who are just doing it. Like they're doing the acrobatics of it, but they're not in it. They're not really in it. It's the women who are like in it, you know, who really can look you in the eye. Those are the ones that they really enjoy having sex with, who they enjoy making love with because it's different. It's something that many women these days don't even know how to do. And many men these days don't know how to do. I don't want to, I don't want to say it's just the women, it's the men as well, um, that they can't look at the person they're having intercourse with eye to eye because they've been disconnected from that aspect of making love. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you're kind of bringing that point that it's not necessarily women who are struggling. And I think it's just a challenge that both partner had. And I think part of it is just being is a byproduct of a failed relationships at times, you know, in the past, we showed our vulnerability and the person might have not necessarily shown up truly, or they took advantages uh, of us, or there was betrayal. So it just, I feel it takes lots of courage to show up as who you are. Absolutely. Not only that, but it's also, again, it goes back to this, where did they learn how to communicate and, um, and get intimate in their relationships? Perhaps they never really learned it and perhaps they didn't learn it in their sexual relationships. You know, it's, it obviously starts early how you learn to communicate, but then perhaps, you know, if they've never had a good sexual experience of learning to be eye to eye, with somebody, you know, face to face, eye to eye with somebody, then, then all it's ever been is like the sexual acrobatics of it rather than the deep intimate communication that a sexual relationship can be, then they don't know it to be anything except, you know, what, what they've maybe learned from the computer. Right. Right. Unfortunately, we don't have, we don't teach people proper good communication, our children. And also when it comes to their sex sexuality that gets more tricky and it kind of is a good transition for the next question I have because I sometimes hear the opposite part that people want to be able to tell their partner what they want their desires they want to kind of go deeper in the the erotic template that they have and they want to share it with their partner but they don't know what to do so what are some of the recommendations you have around helping people to improve their communication around their desires? Yeah, again, I just think this is about being open. And 
yeah, when we're talking about sexual desires, we all have uh, fears of rejection and judgment. So I think you have to start with something small to see if you can build a trustworthy record with someone to become open with the bigger, more vulnerable topics. So you have to like drip out little pieces of information, you know, don't start with the big sexual desires, Um, start with something, you know, much more bland and vanilla. And how do they treat that information? Do they use it against you or do they treat it gently and with kindness? And this is how you start to trust those who are trustworthy. But so if you open up with, uh, you know, something too big too soon, Uh, before you know if someone is trustworthy, you may end up with a big wound in sex and love. And uh, then you'll end up with some, you know, like with a painful memory that replays itself time and time again, because you keep retesting it on the wrong partners. So you have to kind of take time to open up more slowly, take the time to build that trustworthy record. Because like with a like a bank opens up a credit line with a customer, they don't start with like a $26,000 credit line. They start with $500. And so you kind of have to do the same with your partners. Just like I said, start with something small and build up that trustworthy record. I love that analogy because sometimes people, I feel kind of disclose information too soon without kind of assessing the other party's say, uh, like safety. And if mm-hmm. that's someone that you can trust and you know, put themselves in this uncomfortable situation and the other party might kind of like cause some kind of rupture and wound in their Mm. psyches, which is very Mm. painful. And I think when it comes to the uh, behaviors that identify as kink, that's even more tricky because some, I mean, we're lucky that they were in Southern California, but I hear from our listeners in all around the world and also all around US that there are, some biases, some some negative reaction when it comes to these things. And it's just, it's so tricky to share that with someone. Absolutely. I mean, I think some things that, that one person would think is kinky, someone else would be like, that's, that's vanilla. Right. That's, that's nothing. But you don't know that until you start the dialogue. And so that's why, again, I think it starts off with just dripping out small pieces of information. Again, starting off not even in the sexual realm. You start off with stuff that's, you know, like I said, just just little pieces of information that isn't even sexual to see, like, is this even someone that I can trust with small pieces of information, maybe just about me, maybe then about my family? Like, is this someone that I can trust at all? And then move into things that are a little bit more deep and a little bit more maybe going towards the sexual stuff. But I, what I've found sometimes is people just go right towards the sexual stuff. And it's like, wow, you're, that's really personal, you know, um, stuff that, that you're kind of thinking that that isn't the personal stuff. And, and it is, some people are, are judgmental. Some people are, you know, we all have different, um, boundaries and different, and you don't know where their boundary is. You haven't started there. You know, I have some clients who think that sex is way easier to talk about than, than their personal issues. And some people will be like, oh my God, I would never talk about sex, but I would talk about my personal issues right away. So everyone's got different boundaries and lines. And so you have to just kind of, that's why you have to start off small with something really, really simple and easy. Like, you know, so tell me about your family, you know, and just find out like where the lines are. Right. And I, I believe that 
the way that people show up in other areas of their life is the same that they're going to show up mostly in their uh, sexual life. If someone is not trustworthy, when someone is not consistent in in your social life, in their relationship outside the bedroom, most likely those behaviors will carry over in their sexual behaviors. So it's important to assess who they are outside the bedroom in order to trust them at times in bedroom. So important. So important. I mean, you've really hit on something there. And the other part of spectrum that I see at times, the partner is into this kinky behavior. They don't discuss it with the, with their sexual partner and they kind of incorporate it without asking the partner in the bedroom. And, or at times I had people that they kind of like uh, wore their, their partner's lingerie without talking to them because in past they felt shame, humiliated when they openly discussed those things with their sexual partner. And now they're kind of, it's really hard for them to communicate their sexual needs with the new partner. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's, again, that goes back to having communication before engaging in something that there's a possibility of being humiliated in advance. I mean, being humiliated. Yeah, I think that it's really important to discuss anything that could be a possibility of being humiliated after a, their partner finds something out. So putting the partner's um, underwear on with, you know, when the, and having the partner walk in, there's a possibility that your partner may or may not like that. So instead, have a conversation about it. Again, once you've opened up the lines of communication and started to say, hey, so what do you think about men who wear women's underwear? Or what do you think about women who wear men's underwear? You know, so having the conversation in advance of this um of advance of this unveiling instead, where, you know, uh, surprise unveiling, let's say, instead, so that that way there's not like some sort of shock. Uh, and because I think that's where that's where the confusion comes in. That's where the uh, discomfort comes in is like, wait, wait, what's going on? What does this mean that you're wearing my underwear? Does this mean that you're because if someone doesn't understand that, does this mean that you're gay? Does this mean that you are a crossdresser? Does this mean that for someone who doesn't understand it, that there's no there's no context? And so I think that that's why it's important to have the communication before the actual act. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. And the other part of it, you, you just mentioned very nicely. The other uh, aspect of it also is that, that when you're doing or when you catch the partner in surprise, they might get defensive. They might not be open to talk about it further. But if that's something that you're negotiating and talking with your partner prior to getting sexual with them, getting engaged in the sexual act and kind of checking with them, oh, how do you feel about this behavior? And at times the person may, may or may not be open to that behavior, but also if it's not, they're not interested, they might be interested in some other kind of re uh, related behavior that might be interesting to you. So if you are into BDSM, they might be into one kind of a, a BDSM behavior, but might not be into other person behavior and all other kind of a, a BDSM behavior. And also the other thing is just, you can, at times people are more open to hear your thoughts when they're not in a defensive mode. So may, they're most likely be more open to experiment with the behavior if you sharing that with them ahead of time. You just said one of the most important words 
that there is out there, and that is negotiate. And, you know, for people who aren't really comfortable with the whole BDSM thing, one of the most important things that they do is negotiate all their behaviors. And, and so, like, if we could take that into just really, you know, the vanilla world um, and say, hey, so what are you comfortable with? What aren't you comfortable with? And, and utilize that. Say, are you are you comfortable with this behavior or that behavior, whatever it is? Then that would really help to amplify the 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 more what what some people would call quote unquote normal sexual world. Like, are you comfortable with reverse cowgirl? Are you comfortable with I don't know whatever else? Are you comfortable with these behaviors? Um, because some of them you may be comfortable with, some of them you may not. But let's talk about it so that we, when we get in there, if I start flipping you over and turning you around, you're not surprised by these behaviors. You're excited by them. Right, right. And it's just, this is a, such a vast topic that we're definitely going to talk more about it in the next episode. But I just wanted to say... This was so helpful, Dr. Sharon. Thank you so much for your time. And I'm looking forward to chat with you in the next one. Great. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful being with you. Have a great day. Thanks, you too. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Sharon Cohan. The second uh, part of the sex and dating uh, episode will go live in two weeks. And because next week we have a special uh, release episode for our anniversary. And I want you to stay tuned because I'm offering a really good gift for all of you guys. And uh, please don't forget to share with me your thoughts. Uh, you can find all my social media information in my Twitter, in my Facebook, and uh, my LinkedIn. And the show notes, I'll talk to you guys later. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.